If you want to turn in your Bibles to today's readings, which is from Romans 12, and we're reading verses 1 to 16. Um, the words will appear above me as well. Romans 12, starting to read at verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honour one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Well, good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be at this end of the room once again. Uh, and to be able to speak to you and bring God's word to you from this passage in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. And uh, we're going to look first of all at where this fits into the book of Romans because we're just diving in just at one sentence uh, in the whole book. So we better know where it fits into the book of Romans, hadn't we? Paul's been writing to the church in Rome for 11 chapters by now. And he's been laying out something about the marvellous goodness of God uh, to the Romans, of course, uh, but also to us, to every Christian. He's described the grace and mercy that God has poured out on them in uh, the life, death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's explained how their only hope of ever being acceptable to God depends on God's goodness to them. Uh, never on their goodness towards God. God doesn't show favouritism 
to people of a certain background or certain culture or certain race or social position and so on. Rather, he responds to the faith of the person who comes to God humbly. In the preceding chapters of this book, Paul has shown these Romans Christians that to be sure of being safe and sound eternally in God's family, they've got to accept the truth of what God says about himself. They've got to accept God's diagnosis of their spiritual health, even if that's a pretty uncomfortable thing to have to do. And they've got to accept that it's only God and what God has done for them that makes any difference. And that God, unaided by any of us, makes all the difference. If they wish to please God, and yeah, that would be a very good thing to do, then it won't be by doing good stuff in the vain hope that God will mark them 10 out of 10. No, Paul said in chapter 8, it's going to be by living with a renewed spiritual mind. And it's the same for us. To please God, you and I need to have God's Holy Spirit within us, changing us from the inside. What we end up doing might look very similar to what we did before the Spirit lived in us. But the motivation will be completely different. It will now be of worship, of praise, and of thanks to God. Our aim should be that God is glorified in what we do, in what we say, and especially in how we think. How vast and complete and radical is this change that God has done in us, um, that he's achieved through this death and resurrection of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing in the whole world no situation, Paul said it back in chapter 8, never mind how bad, can challenge such a work of God. Who he is and what he's done are utterly and always 100% certain and sure. So, when Paul gets to chapter 12, he wants to urge these Christian brothers and sisters in Rome to live differently in response to this love that they've received. Uh, in and from the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants the congregation in Rome to demonstrate that they are new people in Christ by living differently to the world around them. And of course, therefore, as we read this chapter, he lays down for us uh, a whole list of ways in which we can behave differently and live, live differently, and we read those just a few moments ago. The change that God's made to these Romans change that God's made to us ought to be visible. If Paul had written a book in the Bible called Epistle to the Stabolites, I don't know why he didn't get around to that, I'm sure it was in his plan but he must have forgotten, then I'm sure he would have urged us in exactly the same way to live differently in response to the love that we've received in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's where Paul gets to, has got to when he gets to this these few verses we're looking at today. So secondly, because of what God, God's done for you, be different. That's his message. Because of what God's done for you, be different. Let's look at Paul's key uh, statement in verses 1 and 2 of this chapter. If you've got the Bible and you might want to look at it. In effect, it gives a compressed summary of everything that's gone before and gives a headline of what's coming next. In effect, 
This is what Paul says. I'm expanding it a bit. He says something like this. In view of God's mercy to us, in the light of this wonderful salvation I've just described to you, in view of the vastness of God's love and generosity towards us, in view of the fantastic change that he's made in us, changing us from people who are living on spiritual death row to people who are spiritually alive, resurrected people, in view of the eternity of peace and joy that he spread out before us, in view of the fact that he's adopted us into his family and we now have the same standing as Jesus Christ himself as far as God is concerned, in view of the fact that we've become heirs with Christ of everything that God has, and I've only been able to scratch the surface really of what God has done for us, in view of all this, it ought to be self-evident to us and to everyone around us that we are radically different people from other people in our world. That our motivation is different from the motivations of the vast majority of people in our society. That our thinking is different. That the things that excite us are different. That the places and circumstances that bring us joy and passion are different. The central position of Christ and the desire to bring him glory should have overtaken our other desires, the desires to satisfy ourselves. This is the way, Paul says, every Christian should be honestly and properly worshipping God. Well, that's an expansion, of course, of what he said. But if we had to read the first 11 chapters, I think you'd see that that's where he's coming from. But Paul recognises that there's a gap between theory and practice, as there is so often in the Christian life. Paul knew that the Christians in Rome lived in a city and in a cultural environment that promoted concepts and behaviours that were completely opposed to those he'd been talking about. And we too, don't we? We live in a world that promotes views, attitudes, ambitions and behaviours that are diametrically opposed to those Paul's been talking about. We're surrounded by people with very different views, yet who see their take on life as being completely normal. Media shouts at us, authority points us in directions which are very different to the direction that God is leading us. The pattern of this world, I suppose you'd say, is a pattern of self-fulfillment, a pattern of enjoy it while you can. Make the most of today and don't worry too much about tomorrow. Grab enjoyment from whom you can, where you can, how you can. Make sure that you're happy. No one else will. At the same time, belief in God is usually ridiculed or belittled. And Christians may be patronised as though they are somewhat mentally or emotionally deficient. And Paul understands this very well. So he tells his readers in Rome, and of course he tells us now, that because we live in the middle of a world which is pushing us in one direction, then we will need to be very, very deliberate if we wish to live as people as God declared us to be in the opposite direction, the people that God has resurrected us to be. We've got to make a supreme effort to make God's reality true in practice because we're going against the tide. Well, that's a general pattern, and that's certainly in uh, this chapter 12. But as we 
home in on our verse, let's look at a third thing. He says, be different towards other Christians. Think differently about other Christians. Think differently about other Christians from how you would normally have thought. From chapter three of this, from verse three of this chapter, he goes through a large number of areas of life which we read about, and I'm not going to talk about those this morning. Uh, how we ought to be showing this new humanity that God's given us in Jesus Christ. Now, as we arrive at verse ten, Paul says, "Be devoted to one another, brother, brothers and sisters in Christ, in love, honour one another, honour brothers and sisters above yourselves." Now, to the world around us, of course, this is a foreign language. Put other people first. Actually, it's more than that, isn't it? He's already given the instruction back in verse 3 that no one of us should think more of him or herself more than they ought. Um, but now he ups the ante, so to speak, and he commands each believer that your first thought about other people must be with more generosity than how you think of yourself. Our viewpoint is to change so that we honour the people around us at the expense of our own honour. We honour brothers and sisters in this church, in other churches around us, at the expense of our own honour. And our focus to do this, he says, in love. You and I are to promote other believers because we love them. Now, there are many people in this church and I don't expect that you like them all. Some of them are naturally people that you get on with. The people with whom you find it easy uh, to make a friendship. You enjoy being a friend of theirs. But Paul says, be devoted to one another in love. Even with those people you don't like. Even with those you don't find it easy to love. Even with those people you don't find it easy to have as a friend. There's a lot of difference between liking someone and loving somebody. Sometimes we, uh, very sadly, we see someone who's suffering from dementia and their partner having to care for them in a way that uh, has been not been needed before. Now, I'm sure that that partner probably gets to a position, maybe very often, when he or she doesn't really like the victim of dementia. When the person they married changes in character so much, becomes angry or demanding, disrespectful and rude, it may be impossible to like them. Yet the partner continues to love the sufferer, to care for the person who's suffering from dementia. When they got married, they promised to love the one who's now got dementia, for better, for worse, for sickness, as well as in health. And they're going to keep on loving the person, even when they find it difficult to like them. Well, take a look around this church. I'm sure you can find people in this church who've been rude to you. There may well be people in this church who seem to have gone out of their way to make your life a misery. Then there are people in this church who cut you off. There are people in this church who avoid you. There are people in this church who don't bother to care for you in the way you could reasonably hope. Maybe you're the one who's not, who's cutting people off. Maybe you're one of the people 
who's avoiding others. Maybe you're the one who's not caring. Well, you're not commanded to like them. But Paul tells us, he tells us from God, that we are to be devoted to them in love. Not to love them sometimes, but to be devoted in love. It's not natural. It's not normal. But it should be, Paul says, the inevitable consequence uh, because of how God has been good to us. God hasn't behaved normally to us. When we were still sinners, Paul said earlier in this book of Rome to the Romans, that's when Christ died for us. Did he wait till we were likable? Uh-uh. Did he consider us to be worth dying for when we were likable? No. Nope. If Christ had waited till we were likable, he'd still be waiting, wouldn't he? And he'd still be waiting when we die. Christ's behaviour to you and to me has been utterly unreasonable. By which I mean that it can't be explained by human reason. Even if there were to be someone with the power to do so, no human would ever do what God the Father and God the Son have done for us. Because typically we respond to other people as a consequence of our relationship to them. If we've had a, con a positive connection with someone, uh, we'll often want to respond positively towards them. But if our experience has been negative, we'll want to keep them at a distance. And it's against this pattern of behaviour that Paul writes in verses 1 and 2, in view of God's mercy, don't think and behave as humans conventionally do. But have your thoughts completely turned around. Think and behave as God wants you. Dear Christian brother or Christian sister, it's the way Christ has behaved towards you. And we must do no less in the way we treat one another in this church. We are to love each other and everyone in response to the love that Christ has shown us. Well, let's think a bit more about this because it says devoting yourselves in love is what we say. You, at the beginning of verse 9, sorry, devoting yourselves in love. As you can see from the previous verse, verse 9, the section starts with the words, love must be sincere. And in just the first half of this short verse, verse 10, Paul gets the word love in twice more. Uh, you can see the second time, uh, if you've got a Bible in front of you, because the word love appears. But there's another uh, appearance of the word love, hidden, hidden in this expression, be devoted. Paul uses the Greek word philostorgoi. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, and this describes the love that should exist between family members. Paul's instruction is something like this. With the type of love that exists between the closest relatives, express a true family love to everyone else in the church. This is love not so much of feeling, but of commitment of solidarity, of recognition and support. We talk, don't we, about families being connected by blood. And we, as believers, are connected by blood. Christ's blood. Look around the church this morning. 
Yeah, you can turn your head around. Look at these other guys here. Um, how much will you put yourself out for them? How much will you praise them to others? God has given us uh, good enough eyesight to see one another, most of us, to look at the objects of our affection. And even if our eyesight isn't so good, to touch them, to smell them, to sense each other so that we can more readily focus this true family love on those in our Christian family. For those of you watching online, uh, you're at a disadvantage uh, because you can't see these brothers and sisters. It's one of the many reasons that online church is a distant second best to the real thing. We all need the help, we need all the help we can get so as to grow this type of love that exists between the closest relatives. We started off not in the same family and God is bringing us together and we need to work at that. And as that love grows, then Paul points out the need to express this true family love to everyone else in the church. Love, after all, is a doing word, isn't it? Uh, you probably be able to see this little section in your Bible has got a heading saying, love in action. Some of the Bibles have at least have that heading. Not, it's not originally part of the Bible, but what some commentators have added for us. But it's not a bad heading. Love is not a thought exercise. The lover doesn't sit at home thinking pink thoughts about their loved one. They want to be with them. They want to encourage them. They want to assist them, the one they love. They want to demonstrate their love by doing stuff with them and for them. They give themselves to the one they love. And Jesus, shortly before he went to the cross, as we've sung earlier, uh, said to his disciples, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. We are going to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ more as he really is. We'll be more like Jesus. We will express our thankfulness to the Lord Jesus much better if we are devoted to one another in love. And it is love in action. But this verse has a second part to it, honouring one another. Honour one another, says Paul. In effect, in effect, this is an explanation of the first part of the verse. How important do you think you are? Do you think that people should take notice of you? Paul says, honour one another above yourselves. Take more notice of others in the church than you wish that they would take of you. Have you, ever given have you ever given time and effort to help or encourage someone and they haven't responded in like manner back to you? Well, don't get upset because it's the basis on which you and I should be helping and encouraging if we intend to honour others above ourselves. Do you feel overlooked? mistreated, maligned, then check that your feelings aren't because at root you believe that you deserve to be honoured above someone else in the church. If our viewpoint is that we do not deserve honour, and when we don't get it, 
We'll get the expectation, won't we? Here's a test question for you. When did you last praise your Christian sister, your Christian brother, in a conversation with someone else in the church? Or will it be easier to identify the last time that you denigrated a brother or a sister or someone else in the church? What comes most easily to our lips, to our text messages about each other? Is it criticism or is it praise? The word that Paul uses when he says we should honour one another is also used in the New Testament to describe the monetary value of something. So you could equally translate this Greek, uh, the Greek text as saying, value your sisters and your brothers more highly than you value yourself. In fact, that's what Paul writes in chapter 2 of his letter to the Philippians, doesn't he? He says, in humility, value others as above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. There are people in this church who haven't behaved this way to you. They haven't valued your opinions, your input, or your efforts as they ought to have done. Maybe a bit like a super tanker that ploughs through the sea without regard to the small dinghies uh, that are tossed up and down by its bow wave. So some of your church brothers and sisters seem to have swept on regardless of you, of your dedication, of your hard work in support of this church. And Paul tells us, because of God's mercy, value such sisters, value such brothers more highly than you value yourself. But you may be thinking, how can I possibly do that? It's impossible. Well, yes, to the natural person, it is. But if you're a Christian, then you are not a natural person anymore. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you. You are supernaturally empowered. If your first thought when you see a disagreeable person is about their disagreeability or about the slights you've experienced from them, then it will be likely impossible to be devoted to them. Impossible to honour them more than you honour yourself. But if your first thought on meeting them is that here is a person rescued from hell by the power of Christ and his death on the cross, then your behaviour pattern will be setting off in a very different direction. And if your second thought is that you are really thankful that Christ treats you and them with forgiveness, with gentleness, with care, with compassion and with persistency, then you'll likely realise that here is someone that Christ wants you to treat in the same way. We can only obey the injunctions of this verse if we've got a spiritual outlook. And that will take a lot of nurturing and a lot of self-correction. We'll need to come again and again in repentance to Christ for not being the people we should have been, neither to him nor to other members of his family. We'll need again and again to remind ourselves of what Christ has done for us, that we're chosen, that we're predestined, that we're adopted, that we're redeemed, that we're forgiven in Christ, that he's revealed himself to us. Again and again, we'll need to revel in the truth uh, that we've received every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly realms. We'll need again and again to remind ourselves what Christ continues to do for us. 
the grace he daily gives us from his fullness in place of grace already given. Then we can begin to love one another deeply from the heart. Then we can begin to honour others above ourselves. Well, if that's what Paul is talking about, maybe it raises a question in your mind, which I ought to address before I finish. What about dishonourable behaviour, unloving behaviour? What about dishonourable behaviour? It's, what he's saying here is not to say that everyone else has done is good, nor that when you haven't been honoured as you'd hoped, it was in fact because you were in the wrong. Not at all. Giving honour to someone, valuing someone else highly, isn't about recognising right or wrong. It's about recognising God's imprint on the life of every believer and of each of us recognising in ourselves that there is much in us that still needs fixing. Each of us is responsible for our own lives, for our own sins. And often, by picking holes in other believers' lives, by spotting their failings, it enables me and enables you to avoid investigating the sin that still lurks in my heart, that still lurks in yours. It's much easier to see the speck in someone else's eye than the plank in our own. No one's perfect. Indeed, every Christian is a long way from perfection. Actually, on second thoughts, I don't know that it is easier to see the speck in someone else's eye rather than the plank in our, our own. But I do know that it's much easier to look for the speck in someone else's eye than to look for the, the plank in our own. If instead of criticising others we started to honour them while honouring ourselves a little less and becoming a little more spiritually self-critical, if we were only a little more ready to see the way that Christ has worked in a sister or brother's life, even though he's not finished on them, and he's slowly changing them to become like Christ, then today's text would be a lot easier uh, to, to, uh, to eat, wouldn't it, to take in. It would be far more palatable, far less of a challenge to us. Well, let me conclude then. Uh, let me address myself particularly to those of you in the building, because in a moment you're going to receive bread and wine as reminders of Christ's body nailed to the cross and of his blood streaming from his head, his hands, his side and his feet. But there's going to be another reminder as we take communion with each other. Another reminder that Christ is present with us. And it's your sisters and your brothers in Christ gathered around you, gathered alongside you, sharing in that bread, sharing in that wine. They are bad people, just like you, just like me. Yet, bad people declared perfect in God's sight. Bad people slowly being changed by God's Holy Spirit to become more like Christ. They are those for whom this Christ was prepared to die in agony. What value are they to you today? As you take communion, what value are these brothers and sisters to you?
God says of them in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 4, they are precious and honoured in my sight. I love them. And it's a statement, isn't it, to which the bread and wine will bear testimony. There's the evidence that they are precious and honoured in God's sight and that he loves them. So dare I, dare you think of them less than Christ does, who gave up his life for them. And if you're having to watch online, or whether you're in the building, look closely at your heart. How important is it what others think of you, how others treat you, or how important is it what Christ thinks of you, and how Christ think, treats you. This is your family. Not just for a while, but forever. So for the good of this family, for the praise of Christ, and in deep thanks to him, be devoted to one another in love. Always value each one very highly. Let's pray. Father, we thank and praise you for your word because it is like a, um, a scalpel and it gets down to our hearts and shows us that there is so much more work in our hearts that you need to do to make us the people that you want us to be. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be living in us and changing us. Help us to be self-critical of our motivations and our thoughts so that we may become more like our Saviour. We may reflect him more in how we live, what we say, and especially how we think. And may we love each other deeply, valuing one another as Christ values us. And may he get the glory that he deserves. In his name we ask these things.